0: Hi friends, thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. Like and subscribe. It's a Bodhisattva Act helps us grow the sangha. Huh? Um, thank you for your practice. We are about to start what I feel for me is the most amazing, incredible chapter of the Lotus Sutra. Now Undoubtedly, you all know uh, that Nietzsche, for Nietzsche, that could be said for him to be the lifespan chapter. Um, And I don't disagree that that is an amazing chapter. A couple of things I want to say, and I want to read a little excerpt from uh, a book I'm reading right now. um, That's a recent book called Two Buddhas Seated Side by Side. Uh, two of my uh, favorite academics uh, that I follow, uh, Donald S. Lopez Jr. and Jacqueline I. Stone, are uh, co-authors of this book. Uh, it's a really nice analysis of each chapter of the Lotus Sutra. Uh, it does cover some of the controversy about... Um, and one of the things that it, it explores, and I, I don't, you know, this channel is about being a good resource to constantly provide you with answers or at least um, ways of contending with some things. Uh, you know, when we don't fully understand something, uh, our doubts come out of inadequate understanding or thinking that we understand is something. But if we analyze it a little further, uh, there's enough information there for us to go, oh, I need to uh, changed my impression of that. And now I feel really confident. So this resource, the these videos, the free podcast, uh, the threefoldlotus.com website, tons of free information there. Um, a different kind of information, more visual in most instances. Uh, it seems odd to say in comparison to videos, but visual in the form of PDFs, drawings that my mind as an artist works visually, so sometimes I feel more comfortable explaining things with pictures, right? So I'm going to try to do a picture of the threefold or the, um, the uh, treasure tower uh, analogy, the, thresh, the treasure tower chapter. Because to me, it's, it's so central to the, the fundamental understanding of the, everything from the Buddha realm to the 3000 realms in a single thought moment. It's all in this chapter. And I've been saying this for a long time, telling you, you are the treasure tower, that namom are the seven jewels of the stupa, that that is the treasure tower represented by Nichiren as a mirror for our mind of Gohonzon to open the Buddha. You've heard me say all of this stuff. And sometimes I worry because there's so much rhetoric out there that doesn't sound like that or that doesn't make that clear. That I worry that sometimes people will listen to a few of my videos and think, well, he's just created his own Buddhism. He's gone on his own path. Um, And that concerns me because I want you to know that with over 40 years of study and digging and looking for publications and trying to be outside the universities and academia, be an academic of sorts myself to do due diligence right the rigor of buddhism is what makes it so amazing uh just like science right so i read something in this book and i thought oh my it was so amazingly uh, yes it was validating to me but it was so uh, it was so validating to the purpose of this resource. From two completely, these people don't know me, right? They're doing their own research, they're academics, and I don't agree with absolutely everything they say, but on the topic of the treasure tower, there's some quotes from Nietzsche in here that I hadn't read before. I don't remember seeing in any Go show, so I'm not sure where their sources are, but... I thought would be really a nice setup for us diving into this chapter. So here I go. We have already touched on how in part under the influence of esoteric Buddhist teachings, medieval Tendai notions of practice and attainment shifted from a linear model of practice in which one gradually cultivates merit and wisdom, striving for Buddhahood as a future goal, to what one might call a timeless or mandalic model in which Buddhahood is revealed in the very act of resolve and practice. She uses the word faith. Again, I I dislike that word intensely. Medieval Tendai texts sometimes express this conceptual shift with the phrase, the assembly on sacred vulture peak is still awesomely present and has not yet dispersed. So, you have to understand, the Lotus Sutra stood in the face of this established more than 40 years of teachings of Hinayana, Agama, Theravada, this this early understanding of Buddhism, incomplete, thinking Arhat was the highest thing you could reach, uh, the highest state of being you could reach in this mundane world. And along comes the Lotus Sutra and goes, no, 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 that's not real nirvana. That was a provisional nirvana. Remember chapter three? That was an apparitional city. That was a contrived thing that I gave you to shoot for so that you would take a rest and think you'd accomplished what you needed to accomplish. Now I'm telling you that city was conjured not real Uh, there's still this distance to go with the bodhisattva path and that you can accomplish actual Buddhahood right now in this life. No, no, no. They didn't want to hear that. Wait a minute. I've been working these 40 years to try, right? Lots of resistance. Lots of resistance. And now comes the treasure tower chapter. And not only is he going to provide, Shakyamuni going to provide this internalization this realization in this what enlightenment the opening of the buddha eye could be in practice with resolve but there's another buddha extant in the treasure tower what the hell is that right for 40 some years there couldn't be in the entire cosmos more than one buddha because it would take the energy of the entire cosmos to support one buddha so now there's two living. What? Lots of confrontation here, but a lot of, all of it is born of misunderstanding the teaching. right? The Taho the, the, the Buddha, the, the Buddha many treasures clue in the treasure tower is us. It's our. Look at, there's eight billion people on the planet. all of us, potential Buddha. That's eight billion Buddhas in the cosmos. Is there not enough energy to support that? See, it's a great misunderstanding. Buddha is a state and a fundamental state of the engine of life. There is only the one Buddha in the universe. But our sensation, our sentient mind, our ability to witness Buddha through our mechanisms of perception that's limitless ah now it starts to make sense this is why this is the Buddhism for this era because it is with our minds our capacity to understand ah now I understand right that we can see these teachings for what they're saying right 500 years ago, 1000 years ago, 3000 years ago, people weren't able to this dis, uh, mm, dissect the intricacies of this teaching and it just they couldn't accept it. But the Lotus Sutra, the scholarship of Buddhism long after his extinction, Shakyamuni's extinction, the 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 research the intense rigor of investigation of his words kept going. And very erudite scholars, hundreds of years later, could see, ah, that's what he's saying here. And so the Lotus Sutra is the whole Mahayana, is the effort of scholarship to dig into the meaning of Shakyamuni's teachings. Are they the exact words of Shakyamuni? It depends on how you think of that, right? Are they the words that came out of his mouth? No, because we don't follow the words. Shakyamuni made damn sure we understood not to follow the words. But his meaning, his meaning is a reflection of our understanding. And that scholarship of understanding evolved long after his death. He said it would. He was right. Big surprise. So here we come to, and this is the part I most want to read. Nichiren understood the emergence of the jeweled stupa as the opening of the Buddha realm in the act of chanting the Daimoku. Now, this will sound a lot like what you've heard me say in several videos. I've talked about this many times over the years. One of his followers, a lay monk known as Abutsubo, right? We have Gosho about Abutsubo, once asked him what the jeweled stupa signified. Nichiren explained that in essence, the stupa's emergence meant that the Shravaka disciples on hearing the Lotus Sutra, quote, beheld the jeweled stupa of their own mind, end quote. Does that not say that the gohonzon is that in our own mind? That the jeweled stupa, the seven jewels, namo myoho renge kyo, seven. The same was true, he said, of his own followers. How many times have I told you, and you can look it up in the videos. Years ago, I said, you are the jeweled stupa. You are the treasure tower. In the final Dharma age, there is no jeweled stupa apart from the figures of those men and women who uphold the Lotus Sutra. The daimoku of the Lotus Sutra is the jeweled stupa. Namo Myoho Renge kyo is the jeweled stupa. And the jeweled stupa is Namo Myoho Renge kyo. This is quoted from Nichiren. You, Abutsubo, are yourself the jeweled stupa, and the jeweled stupa is none other than you, Abutsubo. So believing, accepting, understanding, chant Namu Myoho and wherever you chant will be the place where the jeweled stupa dwells. You are also the stupa, the embodiment of the seven jewels, Right? Remember the jewel sewn into the garment of the poor man? The jewel is Buddhahood. The chanting is the seed of Buddhahood. We tend to think of seeds, and, I, I, and this is me now. I'm going to leave this alone. You may read this book on your own. We think of the seed of Buddhahood Hinayana certainly thought of the seed of Buddhahood as something that needed to be planted and slowly nurtured into growth and that one day might blossom. But remember, Renge. Namu Renge Kyo. Now the significance of Renge. Seed happens instantaneously with blossoming. When we chant, we blossom and seed at the same time. Instant an invocation of Buddhaness. Yeah, I'm telling you, this chapter, Revelation. And I can't. But imagine Nietzsche losing his mind over this chapter. It's obviously, and if you read that book even further, Jacqueline will say it was his inspiration for creating this mandala. Now she makes the mistake of calling this mandala uh, this, because there's so much rhetoric out there that says it is Gohanzan. It is not. It is not. It is not an object to be worshipped. She doesn't understand because she's not Buddhist. She's an academician. But you and I understand that it's not worship. We manifest Buddhaness. It's right there. She talks about it. The seed of Buddhism is the awakening of Buddhaness. Renge. So he creates and she does get this right, he creates this scroll, this mandala, based on the visual, this chapter, of the abor, not apparition, although that's the translation here, but the appearance of. But it's an apparition because it's in the mind, right? It's not a physical appearance, it's a mental appearance. And if you watch my video on presence at the Butsudan, I advise you, that when you go to your butsadan, your stupa of the seven jewels, (laughs) to enter into your daimoku and your gongyo with the sense, the imaginary sense that you are joining this vast assembly in the air, elevating from the mundane plane to this wonderful experiential plane, along with all of these monks and the fourfold assembly and all of its influences, the 3,000 realms in a single thought moment, hmm? the gods and Kimnadas and Nagata and all of that, those are all the influences of the cosmos. The 3,000 realms in a single thought moment. It's all happening right here. And that you are floating in the air along with all of that. And you focus on the treasure tower of the seven jewels so that you can penetrate your on mind. Because it's a mirror, right? The mirror ain't it. But the mirror is an incredible tool to see it. You don't put makeup on without a mirror. Otherwise, you look like a clown, right? But you know you're not putting makeup onto the mirror, are you? <laughs> The mandala, the treasure tower is the perfect mirror for you to find that treasure tower that is you and invoke Buddha. Your experience of Buddha. The one universal cosmic Buddha. Right? Not 8 billion Buddhas. 8 billion experiences of Buddha. Oh. So the Hinayanas and the early Mahayanas, they weren't critically wrong. They were critically wrong in their understanding. But yeah, there is only one Buddha, Ness, but there are endless experiences, just like potential is one thing, but the instantiations of potential are endless. That's what we are. Namo Myo Alright, so that's a long introduction, but I wanted to get your mind kind of a little bit off of maybe the mundane interpretations here. And so as we start to read, I hope this sparks insights for you, right? And you'll also see that it's not just me talking, it's not just my opinion. This, my insights have come from decades of research, and I'm seeing it mirrored in academics seeing the same thing. Hmm? Apparition of the jeweled stupa. At that time, there appeared before the Buddha a seven jeweled stupa, 500 yohannas in height and 250 yohanas in breadth. Now, you'll remember, there are a, they're a, a, a system of measurement that. It's like how far an oxen can go uh, before it's uh, fully depleted of its energy, or, or in a day, or uh, it's also, anyway, it's estimated to be about eight miles. <laughs> eight miles. Sometimes we can't see that far. So this seven-jeweled stupa is 500 yohanas in height and 250 yohanas in breadth. This is a big (laughs) okay. Welling up out of the earth. How many things come out of the earth in Buddhism? They usually come from distant lands and somewhere in the ten directions. But out of the earth, beneath the earth, welling out of the earth and resting in mid-air, not on the ground, set about with sundry precious objects. It had 5,000 banisters, a 1,000 myriads of grotto-like rooms, and numberless banners to adorn it, jeweled rosaries trailed from it, 10,000 millions of jewel bells were suspended from its top. Tamalapatra kandana a uh, scent issued from all four of its surfaces, well, there's six surfaces to them. anyway, and filled the world. Its banners were made of seven jewels, to wit, gold, silver, vaiduria, giant clamshells, coral, pearl, and carnelian, and its height extended to the palaces of the four god kings. Well, of course, it was darn tall. The 33 gods rained down on it divine Mandarava flowers with which they made offerings to the jeweled stupa. The other gods, dragons, Yakshas, Gandharas, Asuras, Garudas, Kinaras, Mahoragas, humans and non-humans, numbering a thousand myriads of millions, made offerings to the jeweled stupa of all manner of flower perfumes, necklaces, banners, and skillfully played music, reverently beholding it holding it in solemn esteem and singing its praises. At that time, from the midst of the jeweled stupa, issued forth a sound, a mighty voice, praising and saying, quote, How excellent! How excellent! O Shakyamuni, O world-honored one, that with great undifferentiating wisdom you, have, you can teach the Bodhisattva Dharma that you can preach to the great multitude the scripture of the blossom of the fine Dharma, which Buddhas keep protectively in mind. Verily, verily, O Shakyamuni, O world-honored one, whatever you preach is all true reality. Wow. You can imagine this knocked everyone to to the ground. They weren't in the air yet. What? Not only is this not just a a relic of a previous Buddha. But it sounds like a living Buddha in there. How can that be? There can't be two Buddhas in the cosmos, right? We already talked about this. At that time, the fourfold assembly, seeing the great jeweled stupa fixed in midair and also hearing the sound of the voice issuing forth from inside the stupa, all attained Dharma joy. Well, a lot of confusion too. But they must have been enormously excited. Hmm? What's going on? Amazed, it says, at what had never been before. We've never heard anything like this or seen anything like this. Have you? Obviously, this is mental conjuring, right? We can't have these billions and millions of people around what is kind of a small peak. Vulture Peak is not a huge mountain. And even if it were... How could it hold these millions and billions of people, right? So these are mental states, mental sentient minds, if you will. How much space does the sentient mind occupy? (laughs) Hmm. They rose from their seats, humbly worshiping with palms joined, and then stood off to one side. I don't like the word worshiping. You know that about me. So let's say... Uh, They were humbly reverent, Hmm? awestruck. Yeah, that makes sense. At that time, there was a Bodhisattva Mahasattva named Great Joy in Preaching. Why wouldn't there be? Who, understanding the doubts in the minds of the gods, men, and Ashuras of all the worlds, addressed the Buddha, saying, O world-honored one, From what causes and condition comes this jeweled stupa? Welling up out of the earth and producing from its midst the sound of this voice. They didn't know yet it was another Buddha. Hmm. At that time, the Buddha declared to the Bodhisattva great joy in preaching Within this jeweled stupa is the whole body of a thus come one. Why does he say the whole body? Because, as I was explaining, it would be explainable if it was a finger or a bone or just dust, because Buddhas are cremated when they're extinct, yeah? But for a cremated remain, a relic, to have a voice, what? So he makes sure they understand this is a whole body of a thus come one. Now there's got to be. A lot of murmuring going on, right? That is to say, in the distant past, incalculable thousands of myriads of millions of asamkayas, of world spheres to the east. What does he mean by world spheres? You remember in early scientific astronomy the idea that the whole universe was what we could see in the night sky and that the earth was the center of it? We couldn't even see our entire galaxy, but we thought it was the entirety of the universe for a very long time. It wasn't until much more modern times that with telescopes and ways of seeing, discoveries were made of a much broader galaxy, let alone that the galaxy existed amongst incalculable others. Hmm? That's a very modern awakening. So you can imagine <clears throat> when he talked about asamkayas of world spheres to the east, that alone was like inconceivable. There was a realm named Jewel Pure. In it was a Buddha called Many Jewels. Uh, prat, bah, hmm. We'll just call him Tahoe, right? Earlier, when that Buddha was tre- treading the Bodhisattva path, he took a great vow. If I achieve Buddhahood, he said, and if after my passage into extinction in any of the lands of the Ten Directions there is a place in which the scripture of the Dharma Blossom is preached, the Myohorengekyo is preached, in order that that scripture may be heard, may my stupa shrine, where assumably his relics would be kept, well up before it and bear witness to it by praising it, saying, Excellent! When that Buddha had achieved the way, when he was on the point of passing into extinction, in the midst of a great multitude of God's men, he declared to the Bhikshus, After my passage into extinction, anyone who wishes to make offerings to my whole body must erect a great stupa. Such are that Buddha's supernatural penetrations, such the force of his vow that in the worlds of all ten directions, wherever, whenever, wherever, preaches, anyone preaches the scripture of the Dharma Blossom, his jeweled stupa invariably wells up before that person, his whole body in the stupa giving praise with the words, excellent, excellent, great joy in preaching. Now, Because he has heard the scripture of the Dharma Blossom, as I am expounding it, being preached, the stupa of the Thus Come One many jewels has welled up out of the earth with the words of praise, excellent, excellent. So you're witnessing the manifestation in your mind of a vow made inconceivably past. Once again, that time dilation thing of Buddhism is at work here and you and I understand that that's because Buddha has always existed. It is part of the engine of life. It is part of the process that takes quiescent energy through formation of possibilities, forms. The witnessing of that process, the understanding of that process is Buddha. But who can perceive it, a rock, a cat, a bird, a tree, a planet, a star, they're all a result of that process. Only our emergent sentient mind can witness it, can experience it, can pay testament to it, just like Prana. Tahu. We are manifesting with our mind the vow of Tahoe Buddha. This is why we read from Nichiren, from Tendai, from Shakyamuni, that we must have made vows to this, to Buddha, incalculably in the past. Do you see how all this ties together so neatly, so simply? Why isn't there a school of thought talking about this? Well, we are. We are born of this engine of life. We are a result of Buddha. How can we not sense Buddha? Well, with our samsaric obsessions, we're deterred from experiencing this clear, amazing process. So we're getting back to it through our Buddhist practice. That doesn't extinguish the physical realm. We owe a debt to the physical realm because from it we emerge this extent, this, this extent, this sentient, this consciousness to observe this amazing drama. At this time, the Bodhisattva, great joy in preaching, with the aid of the supernatural power of the Thus Come One, addressed the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, we, we beseech you. We wish to see this Buddha body. The Buddha declared to the Bodhisattva, Mahasattva, great joy in preaching. This Buddha, many jewels, took a profound and solemn vow. When my jeweled stupa appears in the Buddha's presence, in order that the scripture of the Dharma blossom may be heard, if there is anyone who wishes to show my body to the fourfold assembly then may that may the buddhas who are emanations of that buddha's body right this is all conjured in the mind when they have finished preaching the dharma in the world spheres of the 10 directions again gather in one place for then and only then shall my body appear great joy in preaching The Buddhas who are emanations of my body, who in the world spheres of the ten directions preach Dharma, are now to gather. He's going to bring all Buddhas that ever existed into the air, or into Vulture Peak. This assembly, they're not in the air yet. Now he's got to make room for all these people, right? Great joy in preaching addressed the Buddha saying, Oh, world honored one, we also beseech and wish wish to see the Buddhas who are emanations of the body of the world honored one to to pay homage to them and make offerings to them. Again, I'm skipping the word worship because it's so wrong. At that time, right, you want to pay respects to somebody. You're not worshiping them like there's some power outside of you. You're paying respects to them with your dignity. Otherwise, what is respect? Right? We have to be careful the words, words we use. But at any rate, at that time the Buddha emitted a single glow from his white hair tuft by which straight away were seen the Buddhas of lands in the eastern quarter equal in number to the sands of five hundred myriads of millions of Nayuttas of Ganges River Again these numbers incalculable but it's not important to see every single grain of sand to appreciate the river is it all those lands had shvatika for soil and were adorned with jeweled trees and jeweled garments within they were full of numberless thousands of myriads of millions of bodhisattvas, jeweled flags were hoisted within them, and a jeweled net spread over them. The Buddhas of those lands preached the dharmas with a great subtle sound, also seen with incalculable thousands of myriads of millions of bodhisattvas who filled the lands everywhere, preaching dharma to the multitudes, to the south, the west, the north, to the four intermediate directions, as well as upward and downward, wherever the glow of the hair tuft reached, it was also thus. <sighs> Do you see why I often say the immensity, the vastness, of the enlightened experience? It's it's inconceivable in a samseric sense. It's only perceivable in part. Through our mental conjuring, our mental imagining, our mental focus, appreciation, there's, there's an immensity to the cosmos that's samsarically impossible to understand. But from a knowledge and experience of Buddha, the engine of life, we can reach anywhere we want immediately. It's right now. And this is a symbolism being used, yeah? At that time, the Buddhas in the Ten Directions all addressed their multitudes of bodhisattvas, saying, Good men, we are now to go to the Saha world sphere, to the place of Shakyamuni Buddha, there to make offerings at the same time to the jeweled stupa of the Thus Come One Many Jewels. Then the Saha world sphere was straight away transformed into something Pure. Right with a, a no obstacles, no hills or or swamps or or, or a, everything just be- beautific. Hmm? No villages, towns, or cities. No oceans, rivers. No mountains or streams. No forests or thickets. Burning incense made of great jewels. Burning incense made of great jewels. Wow. Having mandarava flowers spread all over its earth's surface. Having jeweled nets and banners spread all over it, and holding only, the assembled multitude. (laughs) Only? (laughs) Having moved gods and men away to place them in other lands, at this time, the several Buddhas, each bringing with them one great Bodhisattva as an attendant, reached the Saha world sphere, each going to the foot of a jeweled tree. Each jeweled tree was 500 yohanas in height. Oh, my (laughs) Adorned with branches, leaves, blossoms, and fruits, due order, in due order, the several trees, each having at its base a lion throne, 500 johannas in height, and each adorned with great jewels. At that time, the Buddha sat cross-legged, each on his own throne. All right. We're going to continue this in the next video. Sorry. <laughs> I want to stop here, though, because I want you to consider everything we've read together here, or listened to if you don't have a copy of this book, and I want you to consider again what I've told you in the past. is when you sit in front of your butsudan and look at your mandala, consider this scene and further... As you conjure this scene in your mind at whatever amount you can, because it's just, it's so incredibly vast. You can only start to understand the expanse of it, right? And then put yourself in it, because you're there. And now look at the character's mio hole of your mandala the potential manifest. And you're about to invoke that very sense and witnessing through your Gohonzon mind, this sense of Buddha, Renge, Myoho Renge, Kyo, this is it. You're instantiating it. Namu be present hmm? at this assembly in the air it's not in the air yet but we're going to get there in the next video I hope <laughs> will you go there with me please do I appreciate you so much the amazing vastness of this practice the potential it has to change our life experience from samsaric craving and clinging to Buddha amazement, appreciation and compassion for every other sentient mind we experience. <sighs> Thank you once again. Please take care of your health. It's essential. How else can you do this and that, that doesn't mean if you're sick or not healthy or challenging something right now that you're handicapped from it it is an obstacle and we've been told if you're going to do this amazing things yeah it's going to rattle loose a lot of things that would otherwise prohibit you from experiencing it but don't let that stop you this is how we burst through it yes it takes courage but the payoff. Yeah. Thanks again. I'll see you in the next one. Gosh, I like this chapter. Can you tell? <laughs> Take care of yourself. I'll see you in the next one. Bye for now.